0: Welcome to Power Talking, the official podcast of eSource. I'm your host, Brian Jungers, and today we're going to be talking about electric vehicle managed charging. Utilities across the US and Canada have been preparing for the arrival of electric vehicles for more than 10 years, but the rollout has been slow. One of the largest concerns surrounding the transition to electric transportation is the impact vehicle charging may have on the grid. What can utilities do to ensure that EVs deliver more societal benefits than they do costs? In this episode, I sat down with my eSource colleague, Jesse Hitchcock, a senior analyst on our mobility team, and Stephanie Leach, principal business analyst at Baltimore Gas and Electric. Stephanie has been working for BGE for more than a decade and now runs the utility's EV managed charging pilot programs. We had a great conversation about the current status and future potential of EV managed charging. Let's take a listen. Really happy to have you on the show today with us. Stephanie, do you want to tell us about what you do at baltimore gas and electric and and your job there
1: yeah so i i'm a principal business analyst on our bge strategy team so i predominantly work on our electric vehicle program specifically leading up bge's smart charge management program which is a joint effort between BGE, and Pepco Holdings, PHI is, is what we call it. It's our sister utility down in D.C. We are working to try to help Maryland meet its goal of reaching 300,000 electric vehicles on the road by 2025. So our entire EV team here at BGE is really focused on helping our customers find savings in converting from an ICE vehicle to an electric vehicle. Vehicle and uh, overall, our entire BGE strategy team is just helping customers consider distributed energy resources like EVs, solar, battery storage, kind of that next generation of energy delivery and energy savings, and how they can integrate that into their lives. So, we call ourselves the utility of the future team. And so, we're just really focused on new innovative up and coming technology that our customers are, are either looking for or interested in learning more about that we can bring awareness to for our customers.
0: That's really exciting. Sounds like fun work and a fun team. Jesse, do you want to tell us about what you do at eSource, the type of work that you do?
2: Sure. Yeah. I'm a senior research analyst on our research and advisory team. So we're working with utilities all across the U.S. and Canada. Um, mostly, I'm I'm working with them and with Brian on the transportation electrification efforts. Uh, and I do a bit of work as well on the kind of regulation side. So looking at how utilities are fitting all of these new programs into their old and new regulatory frameworks. Very exciting stuff. I always love your, your folks' utility of the future name. I love that whole idea.
0: Yeah, I'm lucky enough to get to work with Jesse on a regular basis, so i um, happy to have you both here today to talk about managed charging for electric vehicles. This is a um, pretty hot topic right now with utilities. We just had the eSource forum out in Denver. Tons of interest among our utility members in talking about managed charging. Partly I think for a long time this has been of interest because there's been concern that too many EVs charging on the electric grid is going to crash the grid, it's going to cause havoc. or do, do harm to, um, to equipment on the grid. But before we even get into that issue of grid impacts, I want to just talk about capacity for a second, because I think a lot of utilities that I talk to now are saying, well, you know, we aren't seeing a lot of negative impacts in terms of you know, transformers catching on fire or you know, other equipment strain, but we are seeing capacity limits in certain parts of the grid where we aren't able to necessarily deliver the power we need to charge electric vehicles where people might want to charge them. So I'm just interested to see what you're seeing in BGE territory or, you know, Jesse, what you're seeing with utilities more broadly in terms of uh, capacity constraints.
2: I can let Stephanie talk to her experience inside of the utility, but one thing that did come up at our Mobility Leadership Council, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Stephanie, is that regardless of the capacity constraints, if they are or aren't there, the teams that are working on that are so different and far away from the teams that are working on EV programs and the the teams that are working on call centers and trying to help customers with installing chargers that it's it's like a, a big communication problem within the utility as well so you might have these concerns or not but then getting the right people finding out about them and, and working on them together is a big challenge too
1: yeah i can relate to that but at, here at bge I've, I've actually been trying to pull in our capacity planning team to a lot of our smart charge management planning meetings with our vendors because they are the subject matter experts when it comes to making sure that we have enough you know electric capacity that that we are able to keep up with ev charging so having those right subject matter experts in these discussions when we're talking about adding additional load recruiting additional ev drivers into these programs talking about managed charging and pushing people to charging during different parts of the day and, and ensuring that we will have enough capacity during those times. so I want to make sure that our capacity planning team has a voice in those discussions. I am a team player and I want to make sure that the right people are in those meetings at the right time um, so that's that's been big for me because I I'm not an expert in that area and I, I can't even pretend to be so I try to, share knowledge where I can and I try to make sure that I'm reaching out to the people who know the right material if I I don't have that knowledge. But at the same time, Brian, just going back to your initial question of seeing maybe some spikes in some areas or or not having enough capacity right now, we actually have a a vehicle charging time of use rate for our residential customers to encourage them to charge during off-peak hours and it's been really successful so far in getting our EV drivers to charge during nights and weekends. And so that's been something that we've found is very useful, is just encouraging our customers to charge smarter, to know when those peaks are during the day, and to try to avoid those. And so just hoping that when we get to wide-scale EV adoption, we have more and more customers adopting these EV time of use rates. And then having that coupled on top of our managed charging program, hopefully we can get to a point where we're not seeing another peak because if we are encouraging more and more people to charge off peak right now the worry is that eventually you know 9 p.m could be another peak time so we want to make sure that we're understanding what our customers current behaviors are what their current charging needs are Mm -hmm. and how we can manage that instead of installing additional infrastructure how can we just manage that load instead of adding costly infrastructure to our service area. And then on top of just our residential customers, when we're talking about the potential issue of not having enough capacity on our grid, we want to have conversations and we are having conversations with some of our larger customers to know what their electrification plans are for the future. So the Maryland Department of Transportation is working on the national electric vehicle infrastructure rollout, you know, the NEVI rollout of chargers that really has been mandated across the entire nation of having EV charging every 50 miles along federal highways. And so we're working very very closely with our Maryland Department of Transportation on what additional electric capacity is going to be needed to make that charging possible. And then also Maryland recently passed an act or a law to convert all diesel-fueled school buses to electric school buses. So just making sure that we are having those conversations with these public schools on what are these bus depots going to look like and what's it going to take to charge at these bus depots so we are installing capacity where we need it now just knowing what our current needs are of our customers and what their future needs are going to be
0: that's great and so you say that time of use for residential is working pretty well to get people to charge off peak so i'm wondering what is the expectation that managed charging would be needed or more effective maybe for different applications? And maybe even for those folks that are listening now that don't have a ton of electric vehicle experience, what really is managed charging? And how is it different from just you know an EV specific rate?
1: Yeah. So managed charging is, in our case, giving the utility the ability to control a customer's charging experience. So We can raise a customer's charging, turn off a customer's charging, completely curtail their charging during periods of peak grid strain. Uh, So that way we can respond to grid needs within our service area. So the customers give us the ability to manage their charging experience, in our case, through the vehicle. Some utilities do it through through the customer's charger. And so we can decide when their, their vehicle is charging to, make sure that they're not charging during periods of peak demand so we're managing their charge so that way it's not happening during those peak times so you mentioned the time of use rate not everyone is going to fit a time of use rate model so if you're A night shift worker, and you come home and you need to plug in during the day, obviously, a a time of use rate isn't going to be effective for you. So, you could still sign up for a managed charging program, and we will still find the best windows of time throughout the day to charge your vehicle where it's not going to cause a negative impact to the grid while still benefiting the customer and ensuring that you have a full charge on your vehicle when you need it and when you need to get out of your house.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. And, and Jesse, I know you've been researching different types of managed charging pilots and programs for a while now. What are the what are the different flavors of managed charging that we see out there among utility pilots and programs and how do they differ?
2: Yeah, we kind of lump in or we consider a more passive approach part of the managed charging framework too. But I agree with you, Stephanie, like a lot of the emphasis or interest is definitely on more of the active side. So how can the utility take an active role in managing the charge? Because then you can kind of mitigate some of this challenge with a new peak forming 9pm or whenever your, your, your peak period ends. But we do Uh, also track kind of the more passive approach so just using a price incentive to try to get folks to charge when you need them to a time of use rate or kind of a behavioral approach too so just using a behavioral signal to encourage charging at desired behaviors. I think on the evaluation side of active managed charging evaluations or demand response evaluations there were some early ones um, and they all kind of struggled to be cost effective. and I'm gonna I'm curious to to talk with you more about this because the challenges that came out in the earlier evaluations and in some of the newer ones is just that the programs are really expensive to deliver. So a lot of them involved an incentive for the charger because the managing was being done through the actual level two networked charger. Um, so that's costly to the utility, of course, and the marketing enrollment, engagement, and then often the vehicles just weren't plugged in when the utility wanted to call an event, which is good because there was probably a behavioral factor there, but then the utility can't claim those savings. So pretty much what keeps coming through is, you know, utilities need to find a way to lower the program costs. So maybe targeting customers that already have level two chargers so you can avoid having to give out that incentive Um, or maybe using telematics, which I know you have experience with. Or try to find a way to take credit for that kind of behavioral piece as well. So maybe you do a pre-survey, post-survey on event days and on event days. But trying to think through that, and it hasn't quite hasn't quite come to fruition in an evaluation context yet.
0: Yeah, I don't want to lose too many of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with all the jargon. So I'm going to just step back a little bit. Behavioral. When we say behavioral signal, we're really talking about like a nudge. By text message, email, some other communication channel to try to encourage people to change their behavior, to do something different. And in this case, it's usually don't start charging your vehicle or don't plug in your vehicle at a particular time, or do plug it in or do charge it at a, at a different time. Right? I mean, that's that's really the essence of what we're saying when we're saying behavioral. And when we're talking about telematics, this is another you know term that I don't think a lot of normal people are super familiar with. But I've been familiar with it for a long time. So I've worked with, with vehicles and electric vehicles for a number of years. But it's essentially just the, the part of the car that can communicate out. So if you're familiar with General Motors, OnStar, or if you have a Tesla vehicle, they've got very sophisticated telematics that can tell you uh where the chargers are and which when whether they're available or not to go to try to plug in Uh, but essentially telematics is how we generally refer to vehicle side communication and control so actually controlling it on the vehicle and not off board the vehicle at the, the charge port or somewhere else right so just to clarify that and yeah, Stephanie, like how are you designing you know, your new managed charging program in light of what we've seen in the industry or, or the latest developments with technology? I know at the forum recently, we had folks from Energy Hub and Weave Grid talking about how their solutions can help utilities to manage EV charging for various programs and applications and how they're similar and how they, maybe they're a bit different. Tell us more about your, your program design.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're actually utilizing vehicle telematics, as you mentioned, for our residential portion of our program. And to Jesse's point, there's a lot of benefits to using telematics versus going through a customer's charger. By using vehicle telematics versus a charger, we we are seeing a lot of savings because we don't have to worry about whether or not a customer has a level one charger versus a level two charger. We don't have to worry if the charger is a smart charger. All we have to worry about is the vehicle itself and if the vehicle has telematics on board. So right now we're limiting our managed charging program to just Tesla, but we hope to expand it to other OEMs in the future. But the benefit of telematics is that we can speak to the vehicle no matter where it is so the future of our program is that although right now we're only managing a customer's charging experience at home if we decide in the future we want to expand this managed charging experience to say workplace charging or public charging so we can offset any peak demand Anywhere this this vehicle goes, we can do that. So if a customer's charging at work and they're going to be there all day, we can manage their charging experience while they're plugged in at their office. So there are a lot more opportunities with the vehicle than with a charger that's just going to be plugged in at your house and you can only use it when you're at your house. So the vehicle telematics is really beneficial for us in that we can see anywhere the vehicle goes. We know when it's plugged in at its home. We know when it's plugged in anywhere else, if they're on vacation, if they're taking a road trip. And so that's why we wanted to work specifically with vehicle telematics. Um, And we're lucky enough to have Weavegrid as our vehicle telematics vendor that we're working with. They also supply a lot of the information through our time of use rate So we're working with them to understand, you know, when our customers are charging at home through our time of use rate as well. So they've been a really great partner of ours for the last few years.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I, I was on the panel with Smithy from We've Grid at Forum, and she's uh, she was great and she's very informative, taught me a lot of things about uh, their solution and some of the, the pilots that they're running. So there's a lot of interest in telematic solutions, and particularly for some of the cost benefits and the managing charging anywhere and even maybe some of the data collection opportunities there around knowing where vehicles are and, and where they're charging and, and what that total vehicle behavior, you know, landscape looks like. All of that is very exciting. I think one of the concerns that I'm hearing so far from utilities and we're seeing in some of the early evaluations is that we potentially could run into an issue where we're giving away control to some other a third party, whether it be a technology solution provider, an aggregator that's managing on behalf of the utilities. I know in the past we had demand response programs that were very reliant on Nest thermostats. And when Nest decided to change its policies for how it was interfacing with utilities, that negatively impacted utility programs. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about, on how BG&E or how other utilities can kind of manage that risk of giving too much control to a party that's not the utility through these programs.
1: To the OEMs, like giving power to the OEMs.
0: Right. So maybe part of this is a little too weedy for this conversation in terms of contractual agreements between the OEMs and the third-party aggregator, whether it be WeaveGrid or some other company who is managing those vehicles. On behalf of the utility, it, is there a potential that... The OEMs, the vehicle manufacturers, could say, "Oh, we don't want to participate in this anymore," or you know, "We're we're not going to actually help the utility to manage charging."
1: Yeah, I, I think that in our case, it's a it's a pretty limited risk, unlike some of the other managed charging providers, Weavegrid actually has a direct relationship with these OEMs. They're not just tapping into an API. they actually have set up agreements with the these OEMs to provide that charging data to weavegrid and then end user to the utility um, so I I see that as a limited risk, not uh, you know, no risk, but a limited risk because they do have those direct relationships with the OEMs. They're not just, feeding into the to the open API.
2: Yeah I think that that's something that comes through in commentary from other utilities that I've seen as well is that if you don't have that direct relationship or a vendor who has that direct relationship really doing the groundwork before a program to make sure that you are communicating exactly what data you need, what information you need, when you need it, um, and trying to make sure that that's all established before you Deliver a program and then try to evaluate it and find out that, you know, you can't get the information that you need from the OEM or vendor.
0: Yeah, that's great. Important to the the legwork up front. Glad folks are thinking about all of these things ahead of time in designing the pilots and programs. Just I think we're getting close to the end of our, our time. But if you have any other suggestions for utilities that are thinking about Manage EV charging pilot program and maybe don't know where to get started or how best to consider opportunities for their territory. Please share uh, share any words of wisdom you might want to share with with our listeners.
1: Yeah, I would just say think about what is it that you're trying to achieve. You know, what are the success metrics that you're you're looking for? We've looped in one of the national laboratories, Argonne National Laboratory, that works with the Department of Energy and On top of just running this managed charging program, we're also trying to map out what EV charging is going to look like long term within the state of Maryland. So we are taking learnings from this program and mapping it out into real case scenarios for the state of Maryland. So we're already starting to model through Argonne National Lab what EV charging looks like currently in the state of Maryland. Then Modeling, you know, what are these expectations of having 300,000 EVs on the road by 2025? How is that going to change load on our electric grid? And then how can we counteract that by managing the charging of these EVs over time? Also, back to your original question about enough capacity, we're also looking at how would having these 300,000 EVs on the road affect our electric grid? And where would we need to make additional investments. So, just thinking about, you know, looking long term 10-15 years down the line, if if other utilities are considering managed charging programs, just looking at it holistically of how is this going to affect your grid to completely electrify these vehicles? And then where are you going to need to analyze it over time? Continue to do research, 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 research. Do it before you get started. Do it as you're working on your managed charging program. And think about even after that long term, what are these modeling scenarios going to look like and how can they help influence your capacity planning team's uh, planning for the future?
2: I'm so happy to have you here because you're doing so many of the good groundwork that we talk about you know utilities needing to do but I think something you mentioned in addition to all the great things you just said something you mentioned early on in the conversation is one that we always reiterate at eSource as well is really just knowing who your customers are like this is not one of this is not a solution where it's going to be carbon copy state to state service territory to service territory jurisdiction to jurisdiction it's going to be different for everybody and it really depends who who lives in your service territory, what type of cars do they drive? How do they like to charge? Like what are they, you know, what are they doing? How many EVs do you really have there? And I think by doing that, then you can really start to inform what you do next and then repeat the circle with more and more research as you go. It's so very exciting to hear what you guys are working on.
1: Yeah, I mean, there really are a lot of light-duty vehicles available now, but as more medium and heavy-duty vehicles are available for some of those larger fleets, that's gonna be a real opportunity for some of those large customers to start electrifying. So having those conversations now with large customers who then are gonna add a huge amount of load to the grid is really important. So we've been having conversations with some of our largest customers who are most eager to electrify because they have a lot of sustainability goals. They have their own net zero emissions goals. That's really important for us. And definitely just to echo what you're saying, Jesse, it's important to have those conversations with all customers um, just to understand where they are in their electrification process and how the utility can help them along the way.
2: Yeah, that's such a great point. Like, we were at the EPRI electrification conference earlier this year, and I would say the biggest, we did a whole day on fleet electrification, and the biggest frustration that came through over and over again was that the utility was too slow when the customer had decided that they wanted to electrify their fleet, especially for medium and heavy duty. And so, I think by doing what you said and building these relationships early on and understanding where these fleets are headed you can really get ahead of some of that tension too because then you're already in the loop uh, and you have that relationship that's more collaborative
0: well that's awesome thank you both so much stephanie and jesse for joining us on power talking today it's been a pleasure talking with you i really enjoyed the conversation
2: thanks stephanie thanks brian thank you
0: well thank you to stephanie from bge and jesse from esource for joining us today you can access Power Talking Podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at esource.com slash Power Talking. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time.